Well, good morning. Welcome to Northridge. As we've said uh, several times already, I see a lot of red glowing faces uh, this morning, and that's awesome. We enjoy it here in Wisconsin, don't we, when we get above uh, 40? Uh, you know, it's awesome. Uh, and we're way above that. So we're doing good. Uh, so welcome to you. Uh, if you are here for the very first time, you've never been here before. Uh, I know we've got a few of you here. Um, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know this is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, whether you believe in God or not, or you've been walking with God, if you've opened your Bible 10,000 times or you've never cracked one open on your own, uh, this is a safe place for you to be. And we invite your questions questions about who we are, about what it means to follow Christ, about what it means to uh, dig into the Word and live uh, a life of faith according to God. Uh, So last week we started a brand new series called Live Free. So we're in this series, in the second week of this series, and the, the basic premise of this series is simply that if we are followers of Christ, then God wants us to experience a life of freedom. Not just political freedom or physical freedom, but, but the freedom to, uh, the, the freedom from what this world offers us, which is not really that good, and is far less than what God offers, which is unbelievable, which is great. And so this, this whole series, we're talking about what does it look like to gain or to have or to experience freedom in our lives, in all areas of our life. And, uh, and so that's what we're talking about. And, uh, and, and so let me give you the two principles real quick, because uh, we kind of have to review on this, this series as well, kind of like we did in the last one in the Home Run Life, uh, because it, it builds off of these two principles. We're gonna, you're going to hear these two principles every week just about in this series, because without these two principles, we cannot understand how to grow spiritually, how to grow in our faith, how to grow in our relationship with God. These two principles are critical. Okay? The first uh, principle is this. We are stewards. All of us are stewards. What do we mean by that? A steward is simply a person who has been given something that is not theirs to take care of, to do something good with. Okay? That's what a steward is. Every one of us, every human being on this planet, we are all stewards. Everything you see, the breath, the buildings, your relationships, your own children, your spouse, um, the car that you drive, the grass that we like to kind of you know mow and lay in and look at, and it's not snow, so we'll take it, right? Um, all those things, every single thing, everything, even just you're, you're breathing right now. All of those things are on loan to you that you do not own them. Even your own children, they're not yours. They never have been. They never will be. They are God's. Uh, And they are on loan to you to be a good steward with. Everything, time, money, everything, literally everything, we are called to be good stewards of that. The truth is, since that is the case, there is a second principle that goes along with the fact that we are stewards of everything that God has given to us. He calls us to be good stewards. And since we are simply stewards, we don't own anything that we have. Okay, and I know that that flies in the face of Americanism, right? American, it's an ism word, right? Americanism, we own our stuff. But, but we have to start viewing everything that we see, everything that we have is on loan to us from God. And if that is the case, then the second principle is this that we are accountable to somebody. You know who that somebody is? We're accountable to God. Since we are stewards of everything that exists, 
we are accountable to somebody else because it's not ours. So we have to answer for it. The Bible's very clear that, that you and I, there's going to be a time in our future. We don't know how this is going to work. We don't know exactly what this looks like. But there's a time in everybody's future, whether they believe in God or not. This is the truth. That we will stand before God and we will give an account. It says this in his word several times. That we will stand before God personally, not with anybody else. Jesus will be there, but by ourselves personally before God. And we will have to answer to him as to how we used everything that he gave to us. Okay? I know that freaks some of us out. It sometimes freaks me out. to stand because Just standing before God freaks me out sometimes. I mean, he's God. But... The Bible tells us that this is true. And so these two principles are key. We need to view ourselves as stewards and we need to realize that there is a time coming when God is going to ask us to make an account for everything that he gave to us. Relationships, time, our breath, our money, our everything. How did you use what I gave you to serve God and to serve other people? And so those are the big questions. Now, Today we're going to get, uh, last week we talked about time. Remember that? We talked about being good stewards of our time. All of us have been given the same amount of time, no matter who you are, no matter what time you woke up this morning, right? And, and, and honestly, my alarm clock came too early this morning. I can tell you that when it went off, my, I, this is, this does not happen to me often, but this morning I woke up when the alarm went off and I go, what day is it? Oh, I have to preach today. <laughs> That was literally the first thoughts that went into, and that's not usually the case. I wake up and I'm like, I know what today is. I'm ready to go. And I'm, I've already been praying for it and all kind of stuff. And I've been doing that, but I was just, I think I was so uh, tired and uh, you know, I've been outside and everything. And, and so no matter what though, whenever you got up today, regardless, all of us have 24 hours in this day. Every one of us, we have the same amount of time. So we talked about being good stewards of our time. How are we using our time to serve God and to serve other people? Today we're talking about a difficult topic, honestly. This is one of the most difficult topics that people have to deal with. Um, and and this, is, this is a topic that, kind of like time, but it's, it's not as bad as time. Time is just more nebulous. This is something that has absolute massive emotion attached to it. Today we're talking about money. How do you feel about that? Hey, we don't talk about money a lot here at Northridge, to be honest. And I'll tell you, God has been hammering on my heart. And he says, you're not doing this enough. You're shying away from it. And so I, I want to just tell you, I want to apologize to you that I don't think that I've probably been as good a steward of my position as a pastor because I haven't addressed this maybe enough. And the reason I haven't is because I know it elicits such strong emotion in people. And I don't sometimes like to do that. So I confess to you today that, there are, that, with, that with this, maybe I don't think that I've said no to God, but I think that God has been knocking on my door a little too long on this one. So I'm confessing that to you today. And so today we're going to talk about being good stewards of our money, of our possessions. Um, let me give you some statistics out of the Bible, okay? A couple of things that maybe you didn't know about. So if you would look in the Bible and you look at all the stories that Jesus told in here, every parable that he ever says, 42%, almost half, are about money and possessions. Did you know that? Almost half of every story that Jesus tells is about money and possessions in there. Okay, just think about this. Think about this. 
he's Jesus, right? I mean, he's, he can pretty much do what he needs to do, right? He, he can do whatever he wants. And so he could speak on any topic that he wants. And the one that he chose to speak on almost half the time was money and possessions. I think there's a reason for that. Don't you? Would you agree with that? There's a reason that Jesus tackled this so often with his stories. Um, another stat. There are 2,000 verses in God's word in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. 2,000 verses. Now, some of you might be here and say, is that a lot? Because <laughs> there's a lot of verses in here. If you've ever started reading the Bible, I mean, you just flip through and there's a lot of verses in there. Well, just to give this perspective Okay, 2,000 verses are on money and possessions. To give you perspective on this, how many verses would you think are on prayer and faith? Probably, you know, I mean, this is the Bible, right? Prayer and faith. You know how many? 500. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if I were to ask you, if I, were not, if I did not throw numbers up there and I just said, okay, how many, how many verses do you think are on uh, money and possessions? I don't know, uh, 10 or 15, 20. Right? And then you say, well, what about prayer and faith? Oh, they're probably everywhere. I mean, probably every verse. That's just not the case. Isn't it interesting that God has 2,000 verses in there on money and possessions and only 500 on prayer and faith? It's not to diminish prayer and faith, but it is definitely to elevate the problem that money and possessions are. Don't you see kind of the, the amazing thing? God talks about what he knows needs to be said. And that's one thing that I've definitely learned from his word. And so today, uh, I just want you to know that, that this is one of those topics that can elicit a lot of emotion. If I were to choose one thing other than our children that we believe very strongly is ours, right? And I, f- I feel this too. I mean, I, I mean, you know, my... My kids, they don't, I don't hand money out willingly and freely. I'm like, yeah, here you go, do that. You know? And I know they're not even teenagers yet. I mean, you know, right? it, I don't do that. Be, and why? It's because I feel so strongly. I made this money. It is my money. Don't touch my money. Right? I feel a similar way about money as I do about cookies. I've, I've, I've confessed to you how strongly I feel about cookies. I love my cookies, right? And, and so I, feel, I have some similar feelings there. And, and so we have these strong emotions. I just want you to know a couple of things today. First of all, it's this. This is not about making anybody in here feel guilty about whatever you're doing with your money. Just like with your time last week, I asked some really hard questions of you guys about your time. Now, if you do feel guilty That might be because God is working on your heart. I feel guilty fairly often, to be honest. And it's usually because God is knocking on my heart on something that I know needs to change. But I'm just telling you, guilt is not the goal here today. Getting your money is not a goal here today. Let me, can I tell you what the goal is here today? God doesn't need your money. He never has, he never will, even though it's all his anyway. God does though want your heart. He wants your soul. And what God knows is that when we hang on to money, we will not release it and we will not release our heart to him. And he knows that this is a big barrier. And so we're going to tackle this today. Let me give you a principle that is, uh, to be honest, God brought this uh, to me this week. This is probably one of the most important principles you'll ever hear about your growth in your relationship with God. 
We need to get this one. And this is the overriding principle. I don't usually give you the, the one main principle at the beginning of the message, but I'm going to give it to you at the beginning because everything we talk about flows through this principle. And this is the principle. It's, it's this. God's promises are available to me to the extent of my surrender. God's promises are available to me to the extent of my surrender to him. Okay? What this in other words what I'm saying here is God's promises and blessings in my life in the areas of my life they will be shown by far the greatest the blessings will come by far the biggest and best and all that kind of stuff in the areas in my life where I have allowed God to just take control of it. I don't have a say. In the areas of my life where I've said God it is yours. And I'll be honest, there are a few areas in my life where I still try to hang on with my pinky. You know, like, God, you know, you can have most of it, but I really just, I want to make this happen. And God says, let go of the pinky finger. Right? Let go. And I just, I want to hold on to it. And I have areas in my life that way. But those areas of our lives where we release complete control to God and we allow him to rule over us in those areas, that is where we will experience the greatest of God's promises and his blessings. That would include money and possessions. That is not just money and possessions. That, that means in your family, your relationships, your time, your job, your car, your house, uh, your breath, everything. Your retirement, your plans of where you want to live. You release that to God and God will interject what he knows is his will for you. And you will experience that promise, that blessing. Well, Jesus uh, has an interaction in the Bible that, that illustrates this principle, that where we surrender or where we do not surrender is where we will either experience God's promises or not. And he has this interaction in Mark chapter 10. If you'd like to follow along, you can jump into Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And Jesus has this interaction. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he runs into this rich young ruler. That's what the Bible tells us at the top. You know how they kind of title the little sections. They say that this is a rich young ruler. So what does that tell us about him? He's very wealthy. He has a lot of money and possessions. He is young. It says rich young ruler. So he's a young guy and uh, he's a ruler. So it means he has power. This guy rules over somebody. He's, he's a powerful man. He's rich, he's young, and he's powerful. Okay? And so Jesus is going to have a conversation with this guy. And I want to jump into this and kind of read this. And we're going to unpack it. Okay? It's not a real long uh, story, but, it's, uh, but we're going to jump into this. So Mark chapter 10, uh, let's jump in. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and ask, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely or lie, in other words. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. So I want to stop there for just a minute. So this guy, okay, just, just a couple of points. This guy runs up to Jesus Okay, he's a rich, young ruler, wealthy, powerful, young. Okay, in this culture of that day, okay, your status is everything. 
who you are is everything, like your status, what you wear and everything. It was a big deal. And so everybody had to kowtow to you if you were in this power position. This is very strange. This was unheard of for a guy like this to come and kneel down, prostrate himself, put his knees and put his face on the ground before Jesus. What does this tell us about this guy? It said he knelt down before Jesus. He ran up to him and knelt down. Why did he do that? He is trying to help Jesus understand. He's showing Jesus with his question, but also his posture that he wants to surrender to him. He is showing his true desire to want to surrender to Jesus, to give his life to him. And that's why he asked, how can I inherit eternal life? He's saying, how do I surrender everything that I am to you? That's what he's trying to do with his posture and with his question. Then Jesus comes back and he says some strange things. He says, well, you know, why do you call me good and all kind of stuff? And, and we're not going to get into all that, why he says that today, because that's, that's, that's a whole other message right there. All right. So we're not going to get into that. But then he goes in and he starts talking about the Ten Commandments. And he says, he says, well, you know the Ten Commandments, right? You know, honor your father and mother and don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder, you know, all that stuff. And the reason Jesus throws those out is because, remember, this is Jesus, right? So Jesus doesn't have to ask any questions. He does to help us, but he doesn't have to ask any questions. He already knows this guy. He knew when this guy was born. He knows how many hairs are on this guy's head. He knows exactly this guy's heart. He knows everything about this guy. Everything there is to know about this guy. He knows more about this guy than this guy knows about this guy. Right? He's just asking this question to help this guy get to where he needs to get. And so he says, you know, the Ten Commandments, all this stuff. And and this guy, he knows this guy already knows this stuff. But he's kind of leading him to the next thing that he knows this guy really needs. He's getting to the heart of the issue. Let's go to that, verses 20 through 22. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad for he had many possessions. This story doesn't end well, to be honest. It just doesn't end well. This guy, he comes in with the true desire to lay himself, his life down at Jesus' feet. That was his desire. But his desire only went to the extent, you remember what the principle is? My, God's promises are available to me to the line, to the level, to the extent of my surrender. Same way with this guy. This guy was willing to surrender to God, but only to the level of his money and possessions. The problem is that was the very thing. Catch this now. This guy thought that his freedom came from having money and possessions. And yet it was actually flip-flopped. It was the very thing that was keeping him from eternal life, a relationship with Jesus. It's the only reason Jesus brought it up. Would he tell everybody to go sell all their possessions and give to the poor? Not necessarily, if that was not their issue. Now, do they say to be generous with our money and our stuff and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Serve God, honor God, serve people, absolutely. But he told him to sell everything because he knew it was such an entrenched, horrible thing that was keeping him chained down in his life. He knew he had to get rid of it all. 
But this guy goes away sad because he can do that. God's promises to you and to me are available to the extent of our surrender. Laura and I, uh, we had this decision to make early on in our marriage. Uh, so this was a long time ago. This is our first year of marriage. So we're talking a long time ago, dear. Uh, this was a long time ago. Um, so first year of our marriage. And, uh, and, and actually, I talked with Laura about it this week just to make sure I had this. Uh, and we couldn't remember the whole conversation, to be honest. But it was in the first year of marriage. And, uh, and, and at the time, just to kind of set the, what was going on, uh, Laura and I didn't have any kids. Uh, we were both public school teachers. I was not in full-time ministry. God had not called me into ministry yet. Uh, and so I was teaching high school geography and history and all kind of stuff and coaching soccer. She was teaching third grade. So our, our stories when we came home at, at night were totally different. You know, she had the boys that were trying to pee on the walls and, and I had the ones that were, you know, getting into fist fights. And, you know, look at me. That's hilarious. Me trying to break up high schoolers, you know, I was like, uh, yeah, okay, Mr. Bickle, whatever, you know. And, and so anyway, so we had these different stories, but that's what we were doing. We were, we were uh, public school teachers. And so, um, and, uh, the other thing was I was not in full-time ministry. And so we were just highly involved in a, in a congregation, a local church, just like you guys are. Uh, we were just normal members. Um, I was a volunteer worship leader at, at this, uh, at this small church in North Carolina. And, uh, and Laura and I were both youth sponsors, youth ministry workers. So every Sunday night and every Wednesday night, we were with youth group and, and helping to lead that and, and had our small groups and, uh, kids that we were making relationships with and, you know, counseling and all kind of stuff. So that we were doing all that volunteer work, uh, in the church at the time. I wasn't in professional ministry, so that's kind of the case. So it was a Saturday morning. It was the only morning that Laura and I really had some space and time, right? Because Sunday morning was extremely busy for us because we volunteered every week, and, and so we didn't do that. And so Saturday morning was our time, and so we were sitting at the kitchen table. And uh, Laura, I know, was just kind of looking through. We did our bills together at that time, um, sort of. She did more of the writing of the checks, the actual physical stuff. But, uh, uh, but we kind of shared the load, and so we were sitting at the, at the kitchen table, or maybe I was standing. We were in the kitchen. And we had all of our bills laid out on the table. You know how you do that? You kind of lay them all out and you're kind of looking at, see kind of what you need to do. And we're looking at, we got paid once a month as teachers, which I'll tell you what, the first year of marriage and you only get paid once a month, that was hard. We're like, uh-oh. You know, you get to the last week, you go, uh, um, we're in trouble, right? Um, and so we were, we were there, kind of we were looking at our month and we're looking at all of our bills and we look at what our income is going to be. And, and we knew that our income was less than what our bills were. Not a lot less, but it was less. And we're, we're looking at that and we're like, this doesn't line up. Okay, anybody been there? Seen this? Yeah. I think we have, right? And so we're looking at this and, and so Laura and I, we had to start having a conversation and, and we're just talking about, you know, kind of our worries and stress about this and what are we going to do and, and all this kind of stuff. And so Laura and I, and just so you know, here at Northridge, we believe in the biblical principle of tithing 10% of your income to God first. Okay, that's, that's what Laura and I have done our whole lives. And that's what we believe here at Northridge. And it's a biblical principle of tithing 10% of your income back to God first. And so what we would do normally is we'd write a check for whatever 10% of our income was when we get our check. Uh, now this is electronic. It's beautiful. It just like, whoop, it just happens. Beautiful. You know, we have it set up, done. But back then, we had to actually write a check, right? So we write the check, set it off to the side, then we'd pay our bills, and we'd go through the rest of the month. But we'd always write our tithe check first and give it to the church right away. 
Well, this month, it wasn't a question of whether or not we were going to pay our tithe. Uh, we never questioned that because we knew that was absolutely, we couldn't do that. Um, it was a matter of, should we wait to pay our tithe for two, three, four weeks? Like, should we wait till the end of the month and then pay our tithe if we had enough money? Because we didn't see that our income and our expenses were going to line up. And, you know, Laura and I, we, I mean, it wasn't that we were even seriously entertaining it. We were just worried <laughs> about our money. And, um, and so uh, we kind of talked about it, thought about it a lot, kind of wrestled through it. And but basically what we came to, Laura and I came to that day, and I'm so glad we did, is we decided, you no, know, we need, we have to write this check now. and Set it off to the side, because if we don't, I, there's no way there's going to be money at the end. We, are, we see the numbers. It's not going to happen. So we wrote the check, and we took it to church the next day, because that was a Saturday morning, I think. We took it to church the next day, and we turned it in. And basically, that was the last time that Laura and I ever had a conversation about when we're going to pay our tithe. And I can tell you that by the end of that month, it was tight, and I don't even know how it worked out, to be honest. Maybe Laura does. But we got to the end of the month, and we made it. I mean, I, I remember there's a couple months we were at the end and we had like 10, 15 bucks, you know, in the checking account. I mean, I remember that. It was tight those first, that first year, year and a half. But we pay that check first and we write that off and we've done that ever since in our marriage for however many years. Okay? And God, I, can, I can't tell you that we've never stressed about money. We have, we do, we still do. I can't tell you that life has been perfect. It hasn't, not even close. But I can tell you that God has been faithful to provide enough for us to at least survive, to live. And far more than that, really, when we look at what we have. So why do I say that? I just say that because I think that this is, Laura and I, we had to wrestle with this. Are we going to trust God with our children? We had already decided that. Are we going to trust God in our job and our career? We had already decided that. Uh, eventually God, I didn't know this at the time, but eventually God was going to ask me to quit teaching my career that I had chosen and go into something completely different and do full-time ministry. I didn't know that, but we had surrendered that to him. But this was that area that was difficult at that time. It was a little bit of a leap of faith for us, to be honest, for Laura and I. It seems like a little thing now, but at that time, it was a pretty big decision. We were scared to do it. I can be honest about that. I mean, we had a real long discussion about this. Well, the nation of Israel had a similar problem in the Old Testament. And in Malachi, God speaks to the entire nation of Israel pretty bluntly, pretty boldly. And I want to just share this because it hit me kind of like a ton of bricks this week as I read this. And God was very clear, I needed to use this. But this is God speaking to the nation of Israel, telling them that they have not been faithful with their money and possessions. And this is what he says, pretty blunt language. God says this, he says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. 
Bring the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, and catch this, this is interesting that God says this. If you do, says the lords of heaven armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then God says, try it. Put me to the test. I love that God says that. He says, just try it. See if you can outgive God. Just remember I'm God. <laughs> I can give pretty much uh, everything. And he's saying, he's saying to the nation of Israel, and he's also saying to us because it's in his word. He's saying, try it. Test me on this. See if I don't provide for you the way that you believe that God could provide. Try it. Test me on this, is what he says. These are strong words from God. Now, I do want to be careful here because I, I've, uh, I've watched the TV evangelists. Have you guys seen those TV evangelists before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah all that kind of stuff. Oh, just me doing that makes me not like myself. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, is it? But they, you know, they kind of do this and, and they teach this, this idea, the prosperity gospel. You, get, you write that tithe check and God will bring mountains and truckloads of gold back to your door. It's going to be awesome. It's just he's going to pile it on. You know, it's kind of this mentality. I mean, I've heard these, they haven't said exactly this, but it's kind of this mentality. Oh, you, you give to the poor and you give your tithe to, the, you know, to God, to the church, and man, you're going to be driving a Ferrari in two weeks. <laughs> Woo, let's go. You know, it's because I gave to God first. Gave me Ferrari. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is not what Malachi is saying. It's also not saying that if you tithe or if you give to the poor, you, you give generously to those in your community in need, that, that your life is going to be perfect. You're never going to have problems. You're never going to run out of money. It's, it's all going to be just like, woo, I'm just rolling in it. It doesn't say that either. God is simply saying to you, do you trust me in this area of your life like you trust me in other areas? Do you really believe what you say you believe? That's what God's saying with that passage. He's saying it to the nation of Israel. He's saying it to us. He's saying it to me. He's saying it to you. One of my favorite movie series, <clears throat> you guys know I'm a geek nerd, right? And so, uh, so one of my favorite movie series is The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I know when I say that, some of you would rather watch paint dry than watch like that series. Because I've actually watched it with some of my friends and things like that. And they're like, oh, throw me through a window, you know. And I'm just like, oh, it's so good, right? Because I'm a geek nerd. That's what I do. And, uh, and, and I love it. And so at the beginning of the first of that series, The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, there is a scene where Bilbo Baggins, he's a hobbit, right? So he's a short dude, right? And hairy feet, you know. It's a real story. It's a real story, right? And uh, Bilbo Baggins is a name, and, and he has just used a magic ring to disappear. Like I said, it's a, it's a real story, okay? Uses this ring, to, this magic ring that he's had for a long time to disappear, and he sneaks into his house. And then Gandalf, the wizard, his best friend, is in there, and they're going to start having this conversation. And Bilbo Baggins, he's made this plan that he's going to move, he's going to leave the area, and he's going to live somewhere else. And he's going to give away 
It's just going to give away all of his money and all of his possessions. Okay? And then there's going to be this conversation that him and this wizard, Gandalf, they're going to have this conversation. And it's going to get really, really intense when the issue of the ring comes up. Because Bilbo Baggins has grown attached to this possession. He loves it. So you want to see the conversation? You want to see how this works out? Okay. This shows you how intensely sometimes we feel about possessions and money in our own lives. Take a look. I'm leaving everything to him. What about this ring of yours? Is that staying too? Yes, yes. Say an envelope over there on the mantelpiece. No. Wait, it's... Here in my pocket. <laughs> isn't that... Isn't that odd now? Yeah. After all, why not? Why shouldn't I keep it? I think you should leave the ring behind, Bilbo. Is that so hard? Well, no. And yes. Now it comes to it. I don't feel like parting with it. It's mine. I found it. It came to me. There's no need to get angry. Well, if I'm angry, it's your fault. It's mine. Mine. Precious? It's been called that before, but not by you. What business is it of yours when I do with my own things? I think you've had that ring quite long enough. You want it for yourself! Come on, Baggins! Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. thought up an ending for my book. And he lived happily ever after to the end of his days. Amazing, isn't it? Now, did you catch what Gandalf said to him when it got really intense there? He said, I'm not trying to rob you. 
I'm trying to help you. Can I tell you that that is exactly what God is telling you and me? I, God, anybody else, okay? God is not saying I'm trying to rob you. It's his anyway. God is saying to you, I am trying to help you. Did you notice when Bilbo Baggins stepped out of his door, and you couldn't see it real well because it was kind of dark, but he just went, and there was a weight. The movie did a very good job of showing that the weight had lifted. Here's what I believe. Here's what I know. Many of us are sitting on our wallets or our rings or our houses or our whatever. I've got a few of those things too that I know I'm attached to too much. We're sitting on it and God says, just surrender it. And we say, what business is it of yours that I do with my things? And God says, every business, everything. Because it's keeping you from a relationship with God and from serving God and serving those people around you that need it far more than you do. I've met several people. In fact, just this last week, they're sitting here today. I met uh, a couple who are doing unbelievable things with their money and their time and their finances to help people in need in another community close to ours. It's exactly what God is calling us to do, guys. Our money and our possessions, our relationships, our time, it was not given to us for us to use for our own purposes. It was given to us so that we can love God and serve God and love others and, and serve others. So the question is this. How are you doing in this area of your life, surrendering this to God? I don't know how you're doing, okay? But I'm asking you to evaluate for you and your relationship with God in this. Have you surrendered in this area of your life to God? If you are curious, uh, and by the way, this fall we're going to do uh, a series on this topic. Uh, in fact, I've got a, co- uh, a person who's on video that is way better skilled in this area than I am. And we're going to show some of those, and I'm going to, I'll, I'll kind of lead into it, but it's going to be a short series, but we're going to do a series this fall. And most likely, we'll have to see how this pans out, but um, most likely this fall you're going to get to hear a story or two of people at Northridge who started either tithing or who started um, giving away a lot of their uh, portion of their income and possessions to the poor. And you'll hear how God's blessings came back in and just... Gave them peace and gave them joy and gave them change, transformation. And it wasn't always in the, uh, in, the, in the same vein as money, by the way. But you'll hear what God does when they surrendered that area of their life that they'd been holding for a long time. That's what God wants for us, guys. You guys know that. You can trust what God says. God says, trust me in this. I want freedom for you. So how are you doing in this area of your life? 
if you want to know what it would look like to tithe, if you if you're curious about that, if you want to look, if you want to know more about what you like, how you can be generous to those in need. Trust me, I know where you can kind of send that stuff. And we've got a community store here. And as I mentioned, there's another one in another community that I know of now. There's a lot of opportunity for you guys to bless people in need in this community and also to give back to God. So if you want questions on that, put something on a connect card. Don't let it linger. Don't hang on to that ring. It will destroy you. It will. It will keep you from God. Let me pray for you. God, I know that that this is a tough issue. <laughs> you know that we, kind of like that clip, the, uh, the movie that we just showed, you know that we feel that way so strongly. I know I do sometimes, God. I, I know I've felt negative emotions over money. I know that I've, I've, I've felt um, just defensive about it. I know how often that's happened for me. So God, I pray that if there's anybody here that money and possessions is, a, is an area of life that they have not released to you yet. They haven't, they haven't surrendered themselves to you in this area. They haven't said, God, whatever you want to do with my money and possessions, they're yours. God, I pray if there's anybody here that, that has not surrendered that area of their life, if, if there's people here like that rich young ruler in, in Mark chapter 10, if there's anybody here that's like that, that they want to surrender to Jesus, they, they want to believe in you, they've been following you, but this is the one area of their life that they've been withholding. They've been saying, you have no say here. Uh, they're keeping you at arm's length on this one. I pray that they would just open that up. And I know, God, you're going to lead them to where they need to go, what, what they need to do with it. Uh, but, but I pray that you would just open that heart, bring, give them humility, because I know ultimately you don't need our money, but you do demand our heart do demand our soul because you love us. So I pray that you would help us to see what we need to surrender to you. Whatever that is, whatever area of life that is, but especially this area of money and possessions. We ask this, we pray this, we beg for this, God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing for the sake of the Lord.